1: to get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the HNJ Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. We were joined by Gary Thomas, the uh, Tour de France winning cyclist. He's got a new book out. He talked a bit of football and uh, his teammates as well. So I hope you'll enjoy that. Um, we had a, b- a bit of a chat with Jeffrey Boycott, who's selling off a lot of his memorabilia. He
3: explained why, didn't he? He did. And uh, talking of legends, we spoke to our own Johnny Owens, this show here, of course, on Sunday morning, filmmaker. He's just produced a film, directed a film about Shankley. Uh, Jockstein and Matt Busby, which yeah. sounds really interesting. It sounds very, very
2: interesting. Called The uh, Three Kings. That, and uh, you hear a bit from us, and uh, a little bit of a chat we had with the late, great Bobby Ball around uh, 11 years ago. We, we brought that out of the archive because he sadly uh, died earlier today. But to hear it all is. <laughs>
3: Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul, and uh, I was quite fascinated by the news that Burnley could be sold to an Egyptian businessman. Yeah. Apparently there's no truth in the room he's going to replace Sean Dyche with Graham Alexandria. Oh, Thank that's you good. Much. You're not doing your uh, Nigel Sphinx <laughs> well, material, yes. are you? He is, so.
2: We he is, don't want any more of those. Although he is really worried about
3: s- slipping down the pyramid. I'm it's sorry. a two-parter, <laughs> yeah, It's a two-parter. Very, yeah, that's very good, Andy. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Um, yes, to the games mm. last night. And yeah. uh, good win for Chelsea for about an hour, though. It was pretty yeah. sticky. First off, I've got a note here that says, we've played backwards so much, I can't tell which way we're playing. I mean, that's the problem. Really? Oh, for goodness sake. Andy, Satan. you won 4 you Are going to give them some clog? No, because they... You in the end, they played Ziak Played very well. He's yeah, seen, he he, he's like, good yeah. player. He does look good actually, but uh, so that was good. Habits you still you still can't <laughs> quite get your head round it, can and you? He has these little moments where you think, oh, this bloke's good, and then there are other moments where you're just annoyed with him because he gives the ball away. It's you like it. You like his ability. Areas.
2: There's been players like this over mm. the years. That every ball, every pass is a hospital pass. Mm. Every pass is a, a potential career <laughs> threatener for the player that is going. <laughs> oh towards. yeah, he does. Well, like he just leaves him a little
3: ball. bit short. does yeah, he? Yeah. What just, it is? not enough pay Just a
2: touch short. Sure. just enough for a defender coming through the back of you
3: <laughs> it's never great there is it we'll see he's young and uh, he's, yeah, he's he obviously got something yeah, about and it. Toby we, keeps telling me he's brilliant so we'll, we'll we, see we
2: saw the owner there last night because the game's in Russia yeah. we all know the issues mm. uh, he's got but I, I, I was rereading mm. uh, the, the comments from Frank Lampard he said I was aware he was at the games he always makes me yeah. happy I could feel the support of the owner at the club whether he's at games or not Uh, I didn't manage to see him before the game I was in the dressing room. By the time I came out for the warm-up, he wasn't around. So it sounds like he didn't see him last night. Yeah, he'd have seen him after the game. Well, why wouldn't he have said? I had a chat with him after the game.
3: Well, because he, he does the interview. Oh, I see. And then after the interview, well, did he? I mean, because it, well, it, it, anyway. it would
2: be a, a bit odd that Roman would leave to beat the traffic. Well, Cheerio, Ivan. <laughs> Cheers. See you next. See you in a see couple you, of Roman. weeks. <laughs> 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 Cheers, Roman. It's always George, isn't it? Yeah. Cheers, George. See you in a couple of weeks. It's all about ten minutes before, led by the did. arm by his son, uh, down
3: the many steps of the stadium to beat the traffic. They were telling us on commentary that uh, Chelsea's pink shirts, the official. Description of the colour is ember glow. Yeah, the CNN weather girl. I yeah, <laughs> you were starting. Why don't you just call it Crystal Palaces, kit Wouldn't that make more sense? <laughs> it's true, actually, and it is fascinating with Manchester United how. Yeah, say this. Yes, mm. they always look so much better when they're one nil up. They just they're brilliant on the break. They're yeah. so efficient because must... teams have got to come onto them to equalise must be amongst the most efficient teams on the break in Europe they yeah. really are you know but uh, you'd imagine that for, for example when they play Arsenal on on the weekend the Arsenal will sit back in a low block and then it's so much harder for them. we'll discuss that with Simon yeah. Delaney
2: he's going to join us shortly we often,
3: we often speak mm. to Simon when it's all going
2: horribly wrong for Manchester United the uh, actor and uh, TV presenter but we're going to get him on with some good news for a change and we're going to talk a bit oh, about yeah. Dundalk Great. as well mm. um, they
3: take on Arsenal tonight's huge night for them chairman sounds a eccentric yeah we'll find out a bit more about the club do you see this one, though? Radio host Luke Deal fled his breakfast show when he told his house was on fire. Yeah. What do you want to do, carry on broadcasting when his house burns down? <laughs> it's already a story, well, is it? I suppose <laughs> the fact that if Toby came in and said your house was on fire during the bulletin,
2: a bit of breaking news, it's quite difficult. It? I think yeah. I might leave. <laughs> I mean, what, uh, what could he do? I mean, unless he's a part-time firefighter, <laughs> it's the sort of thing you leave in... I mean, all you could effectively do, you know, you could effectively go there and stay and watch your house burned down, which well, hopefully wouldn't happen. No. Or just to see how, how the <laughs> firemen are getting on. But you don't want to be first on the scene. I don't know how close the boat lived to the studio. Buckets of water.
3: I've no idea. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Still, hopefully it was all right. Yeah, fingers crossed, yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Mmm. Well, uh,
4: n- yes. no, <laughs> no, he's yes. great. That bodes well for the next two and three. No, quarter I, was, hours. I wasn't
2: expecting to. Uh, I, I like to. <laughs> you like to pace yourself. You looking didn't... forward to the Papa John's the uh, new
3: trophy, the Papa John's. What is the Papa John's? It's
2: the. It's what was the EFL trophy, or more recently, Panorama was it? The, no, yeah, and then of course the Leasing dot com. Who could forget the oh, Magic Knights of the Leasing dot com? <laughs> you got a feel for Leasing dot com because they're it they kind of came yeah. and went, didn't it? Their sponsorship with yeah. respect, yeah. I mean, I, it didn't leave an indelible mark on me. Not, in the true, way, not, not really, In no. the way that Papa John's will. Yeah, that's um, very true, actually. Yeah. And uh, we've seen, that we saw some of the players from the EFL delivering pizzas to uh, to local schools and, mm. and, and people that need it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's yeah, uh, it reminds us, a a hopefully, good sp- he, uh, Papa John Motson will be back oh tomorrow. Oh, yeah, Papa John Motson will be back tomorrow. We'll be ta- uh, chatting <laughs> with Motti, who was very pleased to say. he's. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, he's going to be here for the Falls panel mm. because he's, he's got to get on top of it, hasn't he, really, after... Um, oh, he's not going to be here. Some of, the, uh, some, of the, <laughs> some of these standing <laughs> he'll, commentators he'll have not been better than the people who've been standing well.
3: in for him, definitely.
2: Uh, can you tell Andy, it's two days in a row that he's not said hi to us. People get very funny oh, about that. sorry, Andy. I
3: do apologise. Yeah. I...
2: So let's do it again. Anyway, here it is. It's uh, 12 minutes past one. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, everybody,
3: v- valued and esteemed listeners. There we are, Sam. I uh, hope you've put that right. Because, you know, people,
2: <laughs> no, get, no, used, to it. That. get not used to No, no, I appreciate that. I'm not going to defend it. that. It was yeah, wrong of okay. me. Okay, well, yeah. fair enough. It's, it's not all about you.
5: The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport.
2: We're going to talk uh, cycling now. Mm. Uh, Great Thomas has uh, written uh, Mountains According to G. I'd, I'd call it some of his favourite mountains because he's uh, he's got some fairly choice names for some of the worst of them. But um, anyway, <laughs> he's here to tell us more. Grant, good afternoon.
6: Good afternoon. Yeah. How are you doing? Well, good. good yeah, well, more at the point. Too. Yeah, how,
2: how are you? How are you doing after when we all saw on TV what happened to you? you how, how are you faring?
6: Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a lot better now, thanks. The first, the initial, like, week, ten days, I kind of... Um, but well, I was, I knew it was going the end of season, off season, so I kind of wasn't really resting as much as what the physios were telling me, and uh, that kind of prolonged the, uh, well, the uncomfort really. So you know, I've got a one month year old son, so I was chasing him round, and uh, yeah, then I started to listen to him a bit more, rested up a bit, and uh, using my crutch, and feel a lot better now. So um, yeah, it's all good.
2: It was a completely freakish accident sort of going over the the, the drinks bottle. I mean, are they looking at what can yeah. be done to stop that happening to anybody else? I think uh, it's kind of, it happens a fair bit
6: um, when you go on quite fast and you hit a few bumps. You know, the bottle cages, they can they can come out quite easily sometimes. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think the new bottles we have these days as well, they're a screw toppers whereas before they used to be um, kind of just push them on. So when you run over it, it would, used to just blow open. Um, and you might get drenched with, somebody else's um sports drink you know but it's better than throwing you off your bike but um yeah yeah, there's obviously little things they could do like it was in the neutral zone as well it wasn't actually even part of the race which is (laughs) kind of even more annoying but it's just the way it goes you know i think you know nothing ever really goes to plan does it and um it's just unfortunate because the whole year was sort of building up to that point it felt like i was just starting to go really well and find some really good form and was looking forward to a good race and yeah, yeah for it to end on the third day um, was yeah frustrating but you know that's the way it goes
2: sure now we'll, we'll come back to cycling generally but on the book you make a very good point at the start of the book that
6: mm.
2: you know if, if you love football you can't go and have a kick about a Wembley uh, unless you break in, which we obviously don't advise, uh, <laughs> you can't play tennis centre court at Wimbledon for the same reason, or you can't play rugby at the Principality. But uh, all the mountains that you discuss here are accessible, aren't they? To to Joe public, and they and if they fancy taking it on, they can have a go.
6: Yeah, exactly. I think it's you know probably the best bit about cycling as a sport, really. You know, it's so accessible. Um, you know even the races on, out on the road you know you don't have to pay or anything and just rock up and, and watch the race you can go to any of the mountains or descents or you know well yeah all over the world and just rock up and watch and, and it's the same thing with riding it as well and i think you know especially you know there's climbs in like belgium which are cobbled and haven't changed in decades you know and um it's like legends of the sport have all raced up there you can see the photos of back in the day and you can do the exact same roads and um yeah, it's that's that's pretty special, I think.
3: How much does a, the gearing on a pro bike make a difference to climbing there? I'd imagine if you, you know, on a like our producer's got a prompt
6: I'd imagine I, mean, I think you're gonna take on more some of the Brompton. It? Oh,
2: it still wouldn't be a great idea. <laughs> it would I mean that would sort the men out from the boys, wouldn't it, really?
6: Yeah, I wouldn't like to do it on a Brompton, to be fair. But um, <laughs> quite, quite a few of them, like uh, the Motirolo, for instance, is one of the climbs in the book. It's in Italy, and it's just brutal. It's super steep, and it's uh, yeah over 10K long, um, mm. you know, over five miles. And uh, it's, like, over, like, 10% average as well, which I'm not sure what that is in, in British money, but it's steep. And, uh, yeah, so sometimes we adjust our gear in, like, we have our standard gears, but then sometimes for those super hard days, we, we have a lower gear on the front and a bigger on the back, which just basically, you call it a granny gear. No offence to, to grannies out there, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a lot smaller than usual.
2: And the way I was going to say, the way you have to adapt your diet for certain mm. climbs, for certain ascents, is, is interesting as well at the, at the top level. I'm sure the, the punters won't be doing that, but you, you guys at the top do
6: yeah like it's a big difference for myself you know when i started uh my career on the track you know riding team pursuit at the olympics and things and to go from that to um the tour de france is a big change physically really it, you know the demands are, are totally different um it's all on a bike obviously but it's just totally a totally different game and uh Yeah, power to weight is is key when it comes to racing up uh, these big mountains.
3: A lot of these climbs must be incredibly scenic. How how much of that can you take in? Well, obviously, from your point, when you're in a race, it'd be harder. But I suppose for the average punter, that would be a part of the attraction.
6: Most definitely. Um, Like you say, in a race, we we, we don't get a chance at all, really. You're kind of looking at the wheel in front. Or, you know, if you happen to be on the front, then you're just sort of concentrating on what you're doing. But, you know, when it comes to when you do recons before the race or... um, just a training just a standard training ride then yeah i think uh, that's another lucky thing we get to do we, you know we travel the world and we see some amazing places um and yeah obviously when you're racing you you don't really see that but every other time um you get to take it in and and yeah like these these climbs are some of them are super high i think Stelvio which is in the book as well that's maybe 2700 meters high which um I'm not sure what that is in feet either, to be honest. Um, but it's high basically, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, the air is thin on top, and there's some stunning views. You know, I think Top Gear's been up there a fair few times. It's, it's a great road for driving, a lot easier to drive than ride a bike. But, um. Yeah, I think we're just fortunate we get to race in such spectacular scenery. Yeah,
2: You've covered a lot of mountains all around the world, in Australia and France and Belgium, mm. Tenerife, etc. Um, but yeah. if, if there was only one you could choose, I mean, it may be that you'd choose it simply because it's the its the feeling of conquering it, probably not the thought of having to ride up it. But is is there one standout, one for you?
6: I think um, it's a bit of an obvious one, really, but Alpe d'Huez is... Mm it's so iconic it's probably the most iconic climb in the tour de france um and i won up there in 2018 when i won the tour and uh fly it's just beyond my wildest dreams really to to be racing up there in the yellow jersey for a start and then to actually win up there which um yeah i never really see myself as a climber or i don't see myself as a climber and um yeah to have won up there is just like insane really when i think about it and you know it's got 21 hairpins and A couple of hairpins have their own sort of nationality almost. So there's a Dutch corner, which is just like unbelievable. The atmosphere there that the, you know, they're up there a couple of days before all drinking all Larry. And it's just like, the (laughs) atmosphere is insane. And uh, there's a Welsh corner as well now, Irish corner. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like, yeah, that climb is just like in the tour. It's just unbelievable. Like the different, the colors, the noise you know the smells and everything and um yeah to be racing up there which like I say you know they've been doing what since I don't know when it was first in the tour but it must have been around like the 50s or 60s and um so yeah to be a part of that history as well is is really special
2: now you you admitted earlier this week that you weren't able to watch uh, any more of the Giro after your 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 uh, fall um but you were still chuffing your teammate Tao Gagan it is some performance isn't it by him
6: yeah, unbelievable. You know, I think um, we were both together in the first races back after, you know, the whole lockdown. And um, he was hoping to ride the tour, didn't make the team there. Then he obviously went to the Giro to to ride for me and help me try to win it. And then suddenly, you know, I was home within three days and he had the chance to just go for it himself and, you know, no pressure. And then suddenly the last few days, he's right up there in the mix and, yeah, ended up winning it. And it's just incredible. And I think he'll do his confidence. The world are good now going going forward
2: what does it leave at you tell wonder it leaves the pecking order really i mean you've got so many guys that can go out and win big races and mm. you've got a lot of young good young guys coming through as well you're in, you're in pretty good shape as a team aren't you
6: yeah definitely It's um yeah the talent we got is is unbelievable really and we made some really good sign-ins as well we've got maybe three sign-ins that are all sort of capable of winning big races in their own right as well um so, yeah, but for me, that's kind of like the norm almost, you know, growing up, you know, in the British cycling system, the competition for places was always high. Um, and I think that's one thing that really helps me continue to, like, strive to be my best. You know, if you're not pushed from from beneath and from the side and from the top, then, you know, you, you, you kind of get a bit complacent maybe. But, you know, there's no room for that in the team now. And uh, we're all pushing each other and all. You know, striving to be better, and I think that's what what makes us, uh, you know, one of the best teams in the world.
2: He's a fellow Gooner as well. He'll be hoping to get the treatment like yeah. you did out on the pitch, but of course, he's going to have to wait for the crowds to come back. there's not much point doing it at the moment.
6: <laughs> yeah, I've been winding him up about that, saying he's not going to get a chance to do it, unfortunately. But uh, I'm sure he will next year or, or whenever. Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, just final one on you: when you know, when do you hope to? I mean, next year Olympics, of course, and and the tour. You still got all those ambitions. When will you get back on a bike, you think.
6: Uh, probably a couple of weeks' time. Mm. Um, like I said, it's off season now, so there's no yeah. re- massive rush to get back on, um, and it'll just be steady training for a while anyway. But yeah, the Olympics is still a massive goal, the tour as well, but also the Giro. Now you know it's the second time that mm. um, I've had a freak accident there and crashed out, so that's also sort of a bit you know on my radar. So we'll see what the other guys are are up to, and we'll go from there.
2: Awesome. Best of luck with the book. Brian right? Good to talk yeah. to
6: you. The Hawksby and Jacobs
5: Daily Podcast.
0: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
5: The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast.
2: Let's take you back to 1977 now. That's it. That's a half-volley through mid-arm for four. The back goes in the, air. the England players come out to applaud what really has got to be a moment here of cricket history.
0: Jeffrey Boycott,
2: 100-100 and the place to get it in the middle of a Test match against Australia on his
7: home ground at Headingley. Fantastic, <laughs> and he's doing his Jim Laker impressions now. Jim it's Laker. fantastic
2: to hear that again, wasn't yeah, it? it was. uh, and um, that the bat that uh, that uh, scored that uh, those runs is up for sale. Believe it or not, there is a Sir Jeffrey yeah. Boycott collection on sale until the 16th of November at Christie's, and uh, that's that's the high end. But there, are, there is stuff, I think. If you want to own a little bit of sporting um, memorabilia, a bit of sporting history, uh, some of the items on sale, very accessible. And here very. to tell us more about them is the man himself, Sir Geoffrey Boycott. Geoffrey, good afternoon. Hello, lads. A long time. Yeah, here lovely too, to young. talk to you again. Always a pleasure. This, uh, I suppose the first question, uh, Geoffrey, is, is why? I mean, why have you decided to sell this all off?
7: Well, I lived in Wakefield, Woolley, and boxed everything up and went to live in Jersey. Beautiful place. Loved it every minute. Seven, eight years. I think eight years I was there. Then we came back here to Boston Spa. I think I lived here, I'm into my eighth year. And they're still in boxes. And I've never seen them for like 15 years. And with this um, coronavirus, this uh, COVID-19, and everybody's stuck at home know what you do, My wife said to me, I've got to go upstairs and open them up and see what's going on and what's up there, and there's all sorts of blazers, bats, stumps, silverware, all sorts of things, shirts, and and what the hell are we going to do with them? Nobody sees them. They're boxed up in cardboard boxes or in suitcases, and well, by law of averages, I should die before Rachel, I'm 12 years older, and she won't stay here in Yorkshire, as much as I love it, because we've got a daughter who got married and lives in Cheshire. There's a grandchild there, Joshua, who's one. Mm. They'll probably have another one next year. She wants to be over there seeing them, the daughter, the grandchildren. She she helps out with the shop. My daughter's got a, a wedding dress shop, a beautiful shop, three tiers in, you know, called Maria Modes, and it, it's gorgeous. And, uh, She helps out with that, doing the windows and everything. It's a girl thing, isn't it? Wedding dresses. And she says, well, we're not going to keep them. I says, well, why not? She says, well, when you die, we're going to sell them. I said, said, you can't. I said, we can do what we want. (laughs) I mean, what can you say? I mean, she says, look, I want two or three things about you, but we're not having you all over the house with all your stuff. I mean, I've got that many blazers, bats, stumps, all sorts. Yeah. You could fill a huge room with the stuff. Mm. I, and I mean, yes, I love it, and some of it's magic memories and everything. What the hell am I going to do with it? I mean, if I had a big room, I yeah. suppose to be facetious and silly, I could get a big room here, have this big uh, house, about 38 rooms, stunning. Place It is Boston Hall. I mean, maybe I should put them all in a big house. <laughs> I suggested that to the wife. <laughs> we, we should charge people £5 pound in the summer to come in, and you could serve cream teas and sandwiches outside in the garden. <laughs> she said, no way. That's not going to happen. I'm just teasing her. But I said, what the hell do you do with it? I mean, you get presidents in America. I mean, they're, they're huge. I mean, president of America... All their papers go into some. And you can go and look at them. So um, all kinds of people are studying. But listen, I'm just a bloody cricketer, and now that's all I was. It's, it's, I hope it... I gave some pleasure at times. But I was a cricketer, and it and... is
2: nice, Geoffrey, that, that mm. people will get to it. I mean, I know that you could you could have set up a room and uh, a boycott to, museum. A, really. a boycott museum would have been nice. But this is I, nice I'm in not some that ways. The cricket... name, I'm yeah.
7: local. I was a fine player, but, I mean, there's some better than me. You can't set up one for a cricketer. I mean...
3: It's just... I'm just... Uh, the, um, some of the sort of elite... And, and Paul's right, there's items from £100 right upwards. But some of the elite items, like the the bat for the 100th test, etc., you know, that it would go for... I'm surprised at least one wouldn't be in the Lord's Museum. I would have thought it would be, you know, well worthy of well, being Well, they might be there. snapping
7: one up, I would mm. imagine. Well, my Gillette bat was in there. That's mm. up for sale. I mean... Look, I, I just, a friend of ours put us in touch with Christie's and all them and they came round and I said, look, is it worth putting up? What do we do with them? They had a look round. I let them pick what they want. There are a few items left, but I let them pick whatever they thought. I mean, look, there's an original scorebook oh, yeah, saw that. from Aquath Cricket Club. <laughs> I think I was at 11. My first match for Aquath's second team. I think I scored nine, didn't I? <laughs> and, and I mean, that's not going to go for fortunes. It's just, look, if people who love cricket and some who liked my batting and everything, it would like to purchase them, maybe they could enjoy them, look at them, admire them. Because stuck in a, you know, in a suitcase, you know, yeah. you know brown paper boxes uh, packed up, you know, I mean, nobody sees them, nobody enjoys them. Mm. Um, the wife and daughter look as much as they love me, but they—they're not going to have them round the house forever. Yeah. I asked the daughter what she wanted to do with them. She said, "Yeah, one or two pieces, but she doesn't want them all." I mean, I can understand that. You don't want your house full of your your father like a mausoleum, do you? No, no of no, course no. not. I mean, some right. great no, stuff no, though. You the, don't. The... So I listened to him and I said, "Right." I thought it might happen next year, but uh, Christy's came along and they said, "Look." With the lockdown and the virus, and everybody's stuck at home, and everybody's on, you know, internet and computers, it's just as well to do it now. So, look, you just listen to people who know more than you. You want to know about cricket, listen to me. Anything else,
5: I'm not very good at. (laughs) The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. It's
3: interesting to see that La Liga president, uh, Javier Tebes yeah, talking about the Barcelona chairman leaving, you know, the president leaving and saying that, uh, basically, he says that it was very nice of him to announce on the last day participation in a phantom league that will be the ruin of Barcelona. So, interesting, not, didn't go down too well in, in Spain there, so not surprising. I no, suppose. no, understandably. Uh, Mick May wrote to The Sun today about uh, Lewis Hamilton. It's amazing, this isn't it? David Beckham seemed to think he's entitled to a knighthood. Now there's talk of one for Lewis Hamilton. Isn't the money enough? You think, well, come on, he's the best of all time. He's one of Britain's finest ever sports people. Why why would he not think eventually he'd get a knighthood? He will, won't he? Yeah, Yeah. I would like to think so. Certainly. Definitely. Uh, and uh, I noticed this with Gucci. This is a thing that they do all the time. They basically bring out things like... I first saw this in Edinburgh for myself. They had a tracksuit for about 1,500 quid. I was thinking, that's ridiculous. Who'd wear a tracksuit for this money? But it's what they do. They do like a lunchbox for 800 quid. Today they're doing ripped tights for £146. Pounds. And you think... Ripped tights? Ripped tights. Basically tights. As if you've basically laddered your tights. Wow. And that's it. That's the look. But, you know, if you mad enough to pay that that's an acquired so. taste I that's would up think. to you isn't it really yeah. suppose, definitely uh, entirely sure do you think that I'm a celebrity is going to work this year I can't see it. it seems like so grim in that sort of Welsh castle at this time of the year is it's it all going to be based in a castle so yeah, it won't the, look like the, uh, it.
2: it won't be the normal set it just happens to be in white it can't be because
3: it'd be freezing wouldn't it it could be snowing so uh. yeah I know <laughs> was terrible really and uh, more you read about Karen Benzema's comments uh, about Vinicius You realise it's worse when you you realise that Vinicius doesn't speak French. Mm. That's that worst thing. You're speaking about somebody basically in front of them in in a different language. You know they don't understand you. So I suppose he thought he'd get away with it. But, you know, not great for teamwork, is it? It was a bit. Did you realise that Wimbledon are going back to uh, Plough Lane next week? Next week? Yeah. No. Is it finished? Is the stadium finished? Oh, I should know this because my friend that helped Brentford or was working for Brentford... Actually, uh, now he's working for Wimbledon, so of course the stadium must be uh, nearly ready. Yeah, that's right.
2: So they go back, they've been, say, lodging at QBR since the start of the season. They return next week to their old home out Plough Lane after 29 years. So certainly we'll be having a chat Mm.
3: about that with a couple of Wimbledon legends. and we'll speak to Todd about this, did you see this? Is about the bloke that... Broke the protocols in the World Series just in turn. He got yeah. removed during the eighth innings because it turned out he'd failed a, a COVID test. But you sort of kind of feel for him because he went and celebrated with the rest of the players uh, when they won. But it's a moral dilemma that because you think for a player, how many World Series are you going to win in your career? Yeah. You know, not to be able to celebrate that moment. You, you well, can see the, the problem. thing is, he, he came out without any kind of face covering. No, no, it's a disaster. He and when they told him it. to put one on,
2: he, he wouldn't. No. Well, so, he's going to be in trouble now. Yeah, it wouldn't have played well. They think it could, and a lot of the families were down there, and obviously the players have been mixing mm, with no, him. So they, not ideal. They're worried it was a bit of a super spreader event. But... Um,
6: mm. So good.
2: Uh, Hawksby and Jacobs here on Talk Sports and uh, sad news earlier on today that uh, a, a previous guest here in the studio, a couple of times they came in and saw us over the years that, uh, mm. that- Bobby Bord uh, died after contracting the virus. Really sad news. It's been There was a lot of love for him. We we were only speaking to him a, a little while ago with the uh, the writer and comedian Joe Wilkinson who made the, the Cockfield series, which he was in. And he had a wonderful late acting career. Yeah. He you was know, in Not Going not Out. Not Going out, yeah. Lee Mack has talked to us about t- just how fantastic he is, uh, what a fine actor he was and the brilliant job he did. So it was really, really sad news. I think so many of the listeners kind of grew up watching... Uh, cannon and ball. So mm. we went to the archive and uh, we decided to um, play you a, a few moments from an interview we did back in March 2009 with uh, Bobby and Tommy. And we talked to them about their life and career and their love of sport. Lock
1: me a love, a bring.
2: Tommy's just been joining in. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> I know, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> what a song! Cannon and Ball with us in the studio. Good afternoon, fellas. Good 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 you doing? Good doing good. I loves, yeah, lovely nice to see, see you. you. Thank you so much for coming in. I need
1: to say this before we go any further. We're very big fans, me and Tom, because we listen to it all the time. Talksport. Oh, oh
3: really? do I? Good to hear. Fantastic. Driving. Would you not say that clearly? More clearly. I am saying clear, actually. Because I, I read an article, an interview with you a couple of years back, and uh, I mean, you're still working like right mad, still doing right. very, very well. Yeah. I mean, well, we have to it's do never Tommy,
1: away, it? Tommy keeps having kids. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> to work. Now, it's, it's interesting
2: because a lot, a lot of turns, especially comedians, they, you know, they say we use never off, and he's a classic example. But a lot of them, a lot of them, are very different, oh, aren't man, they? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people you work with. When I, mean, I worked with Frankie Howard years ago, and he yeah. was got a different man yeah, off yeah, than he yeah. was on. Yeah, yeah. Different. Some aren't, yeah.
1: Some are, different. So much, so much, you know. Yeah. Tommy's like that when he's off stage, very miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it's a miserable thing.
2: So who, who do you support them fellas?
1: Well, Should, I don't... Well, um, I, to be honest with you, we haven't got a team that we really support. My, I were born and bred in Oldham, so I used to be an Oldham athletic Mind you was lot. on the board, weren't you, at uh, Rochdale? I was on the board for my sins at Rochdale Football yeah. Club. I was on the board at Rochdale Football Club, and i was on the board at the Hornets. OK. Oh, yeah. And yeah. really? And I, really I, yeah. I, I became chairman. To me, for my sins, I don't know what I'm a funny done wrong story about that. <laughs> yeah, a funny story, I was brought up rugby league, my father was a big rugby league man, I like that rugby league. Mm. And all his lat- and a flat cap man smoked a pipe and he said say, uh, That rugby union. <laughs> <laughs> Never watched that lad? I said, Why that He said, They get the ball, anybody runs on them, they throw it away. <laughs> I walked in the house and he was about seventy-nine, and he's got rugby union on the television. Mm. And I said, What are you doing, Dad watching that? He said, You know. It's not a bad
2: game when you get into
1: it.
2: Can we have a proper rock-on Tommy from you, Bobby? <laughs> OK, rock-on Tommy! There we <laughs> the
5: Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport.
2: We all have a sports uh, documentary, especially a football one, and uh, there is a, uh, a new kid on the block. It's called The Three Kings, and it's been directed by someone you'll know well from uh, TalkSport every Sunday. Uh, Johnny Owen before we uh, chat to Johnny we will um, play you a little bit of the trailer of the film
5: somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you said listen it's more important than that I
7: used to work in the pit as a boy of 14 brought up in a faith which was football I wanted to be a manager I was hell bent on that
3: Steen, Shankley, and Busby went straight in to harness the power of the community. they had a poor team. I came here because of the people.
1: I like to be manager of I like the people who support us.
2: He made you believe you were something special. So there we are, a bit of a flavour of Three Kings, of course, about uh, Messrs. Busby, Steen, and Shankley. And uh, Johnny joins us now. Good afternoon, Johnny.
4: Good afternoon, lads. How are you doing? Yeah, good, we're
2: good. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's. Um, fascinating story, isn't it? I mean, it's incredible that these these guys all born within 30 miles of each other um, all went on to be absolute legends of the game.
4: Yeah, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Um, I mean, like you're saying, the effect it had on, on the three cities, the clubs and the modern game, really, as we know it. Um, and the film is about that, really. And, and the film is about the fact that it's no coincidence that they came from that part of the world. Scotland was football mad, still is record crowds are often broken in Scotland. They had the spine of many great English teams right through the 20th century, as, as we know. Um, and they, you know, they turned out to be great managers and they were also minors and that interested me. And it's obviously it's a profession that's gone now, but they were rooted in community and working together. You know, they could argue a point. They were all sort of union men, all the attributes you need really to, to for great management in any industry and especially football. So, I just thought it was a film that was was worth making, really, because uh, in, in the modern in the modern age, sometimes we can not forget, but it's good to sort of remember where sort of clubs are rooted.
3: This came from a book, didn't it, that you co-wrote with Leo Moynihan? And uh, is, was it difficult to turn a book into a film? If you know what I mean? Well, the, the film
4: it, uh, it was before the book. Oh, the film was <laughs> before <laughs> the book. <laughs> yeah, so I've been it... so long making it, lads. Oh, right. Blimey. So that's interesting because uh, yeah. the book was out a few. A Few years ago, wasn't last it? Last year, I mean, yeah, last, yeah, year, last yeah. year it came out. I, I, I started the film almost two and a half years ago. I, to be honest, mm. there was the the chaps that made Senna and Amy, the producer James. He he got in touch with me because I'd done a film called I Believe in Miracles mm. about Nottingham Forest, yeah, sure. and he really enjoyed it. And he asked me would I be interested in doing something with them. Uh, And my father, bless him, passed away in 2017. My dad had worked underground, um, as had most people's parents of of my generation. It was nothing unusual. But he always pointed out to people who've worked underground as well. So whenever Shankly or somebody come on TV, they always go, they were a minor. (laughs) And I just had this this idea of that generation of men and women are are leaving us, really. Um, And I just thought myself, it'd be good to document, you know, their story, really, you know, because he, he was part of that of that men who worked, you know, in the heavy industry and, and the way it affected football and how, you know, football is rooted in working class life. You know, they worked hard six days a week until midday on a Saturday and then went, went and played football on, on a Sunday. So I just thought it's a story sort of that is very, you know, relevant as to the modern age as the game becomes richer and we end up paying money just to watch a single match. Mm. We can also talk about the men who played for the love of the game, really. When you want to tell a story like this, Johnny,
2: I mean, we saw you you mentioned some of the the work that uh, James has done and that included Diego Maradona and the core of that was some footage that they knew of um, that that they were able to build the film around. So is there a kind of critical mass of footage that you know, good archive that is already out there that you think this is how I can tell my story or you say this is the story I want to tell and I'll now go and find that archive and just, just hope it's there to tell that story, if you know what I mean.
6: Yeah, I do.
4: It was more the second thing, really. I, hmm. I kind of tried to piece together the story. I had their voices. They did quite a lot of radio interviews and things, and I managed to find a lot of them. James comes from this uh, way of documentary filmmaking where he kind of uh, narrates the voice and then puts the footage on after, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Uh, and that's the way we approached this. Um, so I kind of went off, and I had a fantastic archivist who um, who went out, and, he, and apparently, this is my fault, when I put it all together, there was 50 different sources of... Of archive wow. um and you know it took a lot of finding but we did it and we put it together uh, and the, the pr- biggest problem i had was trying to you know trying to get the story within that sort of hour and a half hour and three quarters because they lived three such rich lives they were players as well as as managers you know so it was it was trying to find the time and work them the three stories in together
3: hugh mckelvenny did a documentary didn't he on these three and of course but he had a kind of unique style did you look at that beforehand
4: I very much did. Yeah, I I was very inspired by that, even as a boy when I seen it. Obviously, it's amazing how time flies, but that was 25 years ago now. So I just thought to myself, I know, it's extraordinary, isn't it? So I just thought to myself, I'd like to tell that story in a modern way. And that was James's big note to me all the way through this. He kept saying to me, I need you to make this so an 18-year-old can watch this and fall in love with the three men. And I was like, sort of like, okay. So it was quite not a difficult thing to do, but I was very aware that I had to keep You've got to keep a more modern audience with these three men. I mean, the Babes footage is, is nearly 70 years old now. So, you know, Duncan Edwards, for argument's sake, if you if you, if you you look at his old footage, it's black and white footage. But if you can add sound to that and music and cut it in a very modern way, suddenly Duncan Edwards looks like the player who would be a magnificent player even now. Mm. Because you can, you can present him in a very modern context, you know, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted somebody really young to look at the Babes for argument's sake and go, wow, what a football team they were.
2: Well, I mean, they they were rivals in football, certainly in the case of uh, Busby and Shankly, but they were were great friends. They had a lot of respect for each other, didn't they? But apparently there's not a great deal of footage out there of, of all three of them together.
4: There's not no. They were very close, actually. I, I mean, mm. I I spoke to people like Paddy Barkley and the great Archie McPherson, and they spent so much time together, which I didn't realise. Basically, like Shankly would pop over to Manchester, and Jock Steiner famously, because of the way he drove, could make Glasgow to Anfield in three hours flat and have a parking <laughs> space waited for him. <laughs> but they were, they did spend a lot of time together talking and and, and discussing football. Um, Bill Shankly's granddaughter Karen says, you know, she just remembers afternoons with her grandfather on the phone. And it was always to Matt. You know, so there's this amazing rivalry that built up between Manchester United and Liverpool, probably one of the most keen rivalries in world sport that Mm. now. But it began in the mid-60s. And I've always thought people talk about ship canals and music. But actually, it began with these two men before the mid-60s, when they started swapping titles and cups like two boxers. There wasn't that rivalry there, the keenness of that rivalry. really began with them. And then it carried on and built, really, through the decades. So I just wanted to sort of let people know where the roots of the great, you know, Mm. Manchester-Liverpool Much like the Liverpool rivalry was. And
2: finally, for the film having a relevance today, mm. uh, you've got a moment where Jockstein uh, says, football without crowds is nothing. It's quite interesting, isn't <laughs> it, in light of what we've <laughs> moment. He wasn't wrong,
3: was he? No.
4: <laughs> no, it's a remarkable thing the way that's happened because obviously, you know, that footage, I was putting it together, you know, 18 months, a year ago, and, um, right. and now it has more relevance than ever. And the irony is, of course, is that, you know, it's gone out to cinemas and it was released last week uh, to cinemas across the UK with COVID. We're struggling a little bit with the amount of screens we can get it to, but at least just go into cinemas and the website crashed that morning the cinema website and they'd never known anything like it and all the cinemas in Scotland and Glasgow sold out wow. and they were a bit like and I was like well that's football fans it's almost <laughs> difficult somebody to, to, to describe to people from the arts world where I come from the media world they go well you know and I'm like that's, that's, the, that's this world you know these people are fanatical about their team you know and that, that's been going on for 150 years and, and it was lovely to see that you know where they were coming back to me going well this cinema sold out in Glasgow and that one I was going well of course it's going to sell out this, this, is, this is Celtic this is J you know, he's a he's a religion up there, literally.
2: Is it available on Sky and elsewhere Are you, as well at the moment? Because your
3: other film, I believe it in Miracles, be. is on BT Films, isn't it? Because I was going through them last night looking something to watch
4: it is that was yeah it's so basically it goes to cinemas now for a few weeks hmm. uh then it goes to dvd for christmas and then it goes i believe amazon have, have bought it like they've bought up the rest of the world as well. That's, that's all right you know you can watch it but yeah so it's it's it'll be widely available for people to see but i'm really pleased that we managed to get it on a big screen at least for a few weeks and at a difficult time so hopefully people can go out and watch it and enjoy it that way as well and you're back on sunday on Talksport, yeah I'm back on Sunday, boys. Um, looking forward to two hours with Mark Webster. And I just want to say as well, I just really enjoyed that piece you did about Bobby Ball. It was beautifully done. Yeah, really sweet. He was, it was a lo- really he was a lovely it. guy. It like, sort
2: of so shocked everybody today, especially. I mean, however, someone passes is terrible. But to think it was it was the virus, you know. It, I mean, it's
4: yeah, terrible. exactly. Terrible. But it was a really nice touch to go back into archive. and that it was a beautiful thing to do.
5: Cheers, Johnny. Lovely to talk to you. All the best. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast.
2: There we are. That was this afternoon's show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Tomorrow, Ebony Rainford Brent pops in to see us. We'll talk a bit of cricket with her. We've got, obviously, the clips of the week, Martin Counter, Tom Macklin, and a lot more besides. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs
5: Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on Talk Sport.
4: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.